Father God, thank you for this opportunity to learn about you. I pray that you would open up your word to us in a new way, in a familiar way, in a way that moves us to be a little bit more like Jesus, because we know the story is all about him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How many of you, just by a show of raise of hands, have been watching the Olympics? these last couple of weeks. Okay, so a pretty good number of you. Uh, we've been watching off and on, Monica and I have, and her favorite, of course, is gymnastics. I, I got a haircut today, and the lady said that was her favorite event as well. So I don't know if that's a common theme, but it's pretty fun to watch. It's pretty exciting. Uh, and if you notice, when they do the newscast, they try to tell a story because they want to pull you in to the event. You're like, I, I don't need to know this person's background history. I just want to watch them race. But they kind of map it out to kind of pull you and, and make sure that, that you want to know, you know, what the outcome of the race is, that there's, there's things at stake. And one of the events that I like to watch, uh, and I've watched a couple of them, are the swimming meets. And maybe some of you are familiar with the name Michael Phelps. Well, he is one of the most famous swimmers in the world. In fact, I brought a picture of him in case you haven't seen him. He is famous for his butterfly uh, stroke, which is on the bottom, and he has, like, huge arms. He is uh, an incredible, incredible swimmer. But did you know that when he was a kid, he was actually afraid to get into the water? He was scared to put his face under the water. He clearly conquered that fear. And I actually remember hearing about Michael Phelps uh, when I was a lot younger uh, on Paul Harvey. Maybe some of you listened to the radio, and he talked about this amazing 15-year-old kid who went to the Olympics and got fifth place and how incredible he was going to be when he got older. I don't think even Paul Harvey guessed how incredible uh, Michael Phelps was going to turn out to be as a swimmer. But if you track the course of his life, you see that there are many successes but then there's also these low periods. There's high years, and then there's frustrating and, and hard years that Phelps has gone through. Uh, in 2000, he did go to the, the Sydney Olympics. And then 2004, uh, he went to the Games in Athens, and he actually won six golds and two bronze medals. But that following November, right after the Summer Olympics, he was arrested for a DUI. He apologized, he did probation, he did community service, everything he was supposed to do, and began to compete again and achieved great success. And then in 2012, he, uh, oh, right after that, well, he, he went to the 2008 Olympics. There's like five different Olympics he's been a part of, so I'm trying not to get them confused. Uh, but in 2008, he went to the Beijing Olympics, and he won eight more golds. But then right after his victory, a picture surfaced of him online where he was doing some recreational drug use that is legal in other states but not in Massachusetts. And he was suspended. So he did his time and then began to get back into the Olympics, uh, get back into competition, and he returned to the 2012 London Olympics and he became the most decorated Olympian of all times. He won four golds and two silvers at that Olympics. And so you can see he had these good years and bad years, good years and bad years. And then in 2014, he was arrested for a second DUI. And he later told ESPN magazine or other magazines that he considered suicide. So here's someone who is the greatest Olympian of all time, 
the highest point you could ever be, the greatest pinnacle of success in the Olympics, all around the world, considered maybe the greatest athlete of all time, and he's considering killing himself. That's pretty hard. He went to rehab, and he had a Christian friend, uh, Ray Lewis, and Ray Lewis gave him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, and he shared that that book, it impacted him in a positive way. It did not turn him into a Christian, but he says this after he read it. It said, it turned me into believing there is a power greater than myself, and there is a purpose for me on this planet. He began to compete again and do much better. Now, Michael Phelps is not a Christian, but we can certainly pray that he comes to know Jesus, that Jesus finds him. Uh, but it's, it's exciting to watch his career because even though he has gone through these highs and lows, right now he's at a high. He's at a successful point. He's just won a couple more medals. He now has 26 Olympic medals, 22 of them gold. But even this isn't enough. It's not enough for you. It's not enough for me. It's not enough for Michael Phelps, because we're going to hit other points in our life that are low. Michael Phelps is going to hit more low points in his life. Maybe they will look differently. But the question is, what will get him through those times? Will it be his medals? Or perhaps Christ will break through and something more will get to him. Now, God also takes us through highs and lows in our lives. Maybe some of you can relate, but in a different way. Certainly, you're not in the Olympics. If you are, come tell me. That's pretty cool. Uh, But we all go through times that are, are good, that we would consider good or hard, bad. In Genesis chapter 41, we've just read this story, the story of Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. It is a story of highs and lows, over many, many years. But God uses these, these periods, these good years and these bad years, for Joseph's good and for the good of Egypt. God gives us good years and he gives us bad years. We're going to look at the first eight verses. I'm not going to read it again because we would be here really late. But I want you to notice that uh, this story actually doesn't begin with Joseph. In verse 1, it begins with Pharaoh. When two full years had passed after the events of chapter 40, in chapter 40, Joseph interprets, he's in prison, and he interprets the dream of a cupbearer, the king's cupbearer, and the king's baker. And he, he successfully interprets them, and he thinks, ah, oh, maybe I'm going to get out of prison now, uh, but he doesn't. Uh, the the cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh side, but unfortunately he forgets about Joseph. And so Joseph is left in prison for two more years. But then Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams that predict that a time of plenty and a time of famine is coming to Egypt. See, God gives everyone good and bad years. God is going to give Egypt, that nation, a time of fruitfulness and a time of of desert and desolation. Now, if you were listening to the story as we went along, uh, there, there's a picture that's brought up. It's the picture of cows grazing beside the Nile. And first out comes seven healthy and plump cows, and then seven uh, deathly, like skinny, like their bones are showing kind of cows. And the second skinny ones eat the first ones. They consume them. Well, those first cows uh, are... are 
in reference to the Nile. So they feed along the Nile. The Nile was the source of Egypt's agricultural success. So in Palestine, in Canaan, kind of modern-day Jerusalem, the agriculture is uh, usually more, uh, I don't know if it's not, it's not as reliable, but it's different. It's more rainfall. And the Nile would have been more reliable because it's based on a river, and rivers are a little bit more consistent than rainfall. And there's a prophecy that's really being told to, uh, to Pharaoh. What's going to happen in the future is that everywhere, the whole world, doesn't matter whether you're in a land of rainfall or a land with a river, everywhere is going to become desolate. There's going to be seven years of famine. And verse 6 actually says how this is going to happen says the east wind is going to come. So the second vision is of some crops. You have good crops, and then the second crops that are bad, they come along and they sort of consume and destroy the first crops. Well, the, the, the crops are destroyed by the east wind. So what is east of Egypt? There's a, a wilderness location. There's kind of a desert location. But if you go even further east, you hit kind of Palestine, Jerusalem, that region. And if you go even further east, you hit the Arabian Desert. In the Arabian Desert, the average temperature in the summer is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. You can hit as high as 115, I'm sure even higher. And if the wind blows in that hot, that not humid, but that hot, dry wind blows into Palestine, it would just destroy the crops. And then if it keeps blowing to Egypt, it would destroy the agriculture in Egypt, the, the crops. And if this was a consistent thing year after year, so you can see how this would lead to uh, mass poverty, economic hardship in that region. So this is what's coming. Maybe some of you have seen, to kind of give you an idea of this, a picture of this, we don't really have this happen around here, but maybe you've seen the movie Interstellar. I really like this, but it's this kind of this space movie. But at the beginning, it's the, the concept is that everyone has to leave planet Earth because planet Earth has come down with a blight. All the crops are dying. And you see these huge sandstorms coming over the horizon. And uh, there's so much sand and so much dirt that they have to wipe the countertops off. And their crops are getting destroyed left and right. And that's kind of the picture that we get in uh, this story right here, that what is coming to Egypt is a terrible, terrible famine. Now, the difference with, between the movie and the Bible in this story is that in Interstellar, it's a judgment. Planet Earth judges people uh, because of global warming. It says, there's a quote from the movie that says, this world's a treasure and it's been telling us to leave for a while now. So the picture we get is that the Earth is judging its inhabitants. But in the story of the Bible, it doesn't say that there is any sort of judgment against Egypt, against the Pharaoh, against Joseph. See, God isn't maliciously striking out against Egypt. Just bad things happen. Good years come and bad years come. They just happen. See, God is a, a kind of an equal opportunity uh, inflictor at some points. He gives people, no matter whether you're good if you're bad, he gives us all times of trial, good years and bad years. So the next time something terrible is happening to you or you're going through a time of trial, you shouldn't be discouraged that God is judging you. Sometimes these things just happen. God puts them in our lives to shape us, to change us. He gives it to all of us so that we can mature and so that we can grow. 
Now, the hero of Interstellar is a farmer named Cooper. The hero of our story is actually a kind of farmer as well, a farmer named Joseph. God uses Joseph and the hardships he goes through, the years of trial, to prepare him for what's ahead in Egypt, for a famine. God gives Joseph years of hardship. Now, I know uh, some of you probably like graphs, you like charts, and so I wanted to break it down for you how many years of hardship Joseph went through. So if you look at the screen, uh, our first column there is how old Joseph is, the event that happened to him, and where you can find that in the Bible. So you can write this down if you want. It'll be online as well. But Joseph was kidnapped by his uh, 10 older brothers, Uh, when he was just 17 years old. He was kidnapped, thrown in a pit. They considered murdering him, and then they threw him into, uh, well, they threw him into the pit, and then they pulled him back out, and they sold him to slave traders who took Joseph 200 miles away to the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph was sold into a kind of indentured servitude there as a a slave, and he served a man named Potiphar. Potiphar uh, was a a kind of a chief guard uh, for Pharaoh's household, and he served him there probably for many years, many successful years. And then uh, we're not given an exact age of Joseph, but probably when he was maybe 23 to 27, I I said 25, uh, he is thrown into prison where he gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife. She accuses him of trying to sleep with her, and Potiphar throws throws him into prison. And then when he's 28 years old, so he's probably been in prison for a couple years, he's already been in a foreign nation for almost a decade, he's given the opportunity to interpret two dreams, the dream of the cupbearer and the dream of the chief baker. And then he he interprets that, but they leave him in prison. The the baker is executed. The chief cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's court. And he's forgotten for another two whole years until he turns 30. And when he turns 30, he is finally brought before Pharaoh. He interprets Pharaoh's two dreams that we read today. And he is uh, promoted to be head over all of Egypt, answering directly to Pharaoh. And finally, so there are seven years of goodness, and then there's another seven years of famine. Somewhere in those second seven years, we don't know exactly when Joseph's brothers show up. So maybe the second, the third, the fourth year, somewhere during that time, his brothers arrive in Egypt. And if you add all those years up, that's a long time. From the age of 17 till 40, maybe even longer, he was living in a foreign land. Yes, he was promoted to be kind of the head over all of Egypt, but he was also a slave. He didn't have a choice in the matter. Pharaoh marries him to a foreign woman, something that uh, the nation of Israel struggles with later in their lives, being married to someone that uh, rejects your God. He is thrown into prison multiple times. He's he's renamed. He's kind of trying to culturally assimilate Joseph into the religion and the society of Egypt. These aren't easy years, even once he's in charge. God gave Joseph about 23 years of hardship. Maybe it reminds you of Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would give him a son when he was 75 years old. 
you know how long it took God to fulfill that promise? We read this earlier in the year. It took him 25 years. God promised when he was 75, but he didn't give him a son until he was 100. See, none of us likes going through hardship, but we definitely don't like going through years and years of trial, good years and bad years. We don't like years and years of hardship. We want to get away. We want to get away from the pain as quickly as possible. When you have a scab that heals over and you've had a Band-Aid on it, you don't rip off the Band-Aid as slowly as you can. Rip it off quickly because we want to get away from the pain. We don't invite ourselves back to the doctor just because we like to hang out with the doctor. (laughs) We try to get away. When God takes me into hardship, one of the things I pray is, Lord, please make this stop as soon as possible, (laughs) ASAP. I know if I go through a hard time for a day, I'm like, man, I hope tomorrow is a lot better than this. And if it's a week long, man, that seems like a long time. A month, I can hardly stand it. A year, two years, how about 23 years? Joseph takes, uh, God takes Joseph through a long, hard journey. The most Frustrating hardships we have are those that last years. Now, Joseph's hardship is kind of societal. It's around him. He's in a foreign country. But I think it was also spiritual as he was away from his religion, as he was away from his community of fellow believers in God. It was also physical as he was thrown into prison. He was probably beaten and abused, maybe at the beginning when uh, Potiphar was angry with him. And of course, you can imagine his hardships were relational, trying to form new relationships in a foreign land, but not being able to do so. See, these are the types of hardships that we go through, that God brings us through. He brings us through times of spiritual famine, of relational famine, of physical famine. We're struggling with some sickness. Do you know that if God wants to, he can take us out of these trials in a moment, in a single day, if he wants to? I was so encouraged recently when I uh, knew a friend and... uh, they were looking for a job. She was looking for a job. This is my wife. Uh, Monica was looking for a job. I, I should have asked her before I used this. <laughs> but she was interested in, uh, in finding a job working for a, high, a Christian high school. And she was looking for a long time. And in the space of a week, God changed her life and gave her a whole new position at a, at a whole new place of employment. If God wants to, he can do that sort of thing to us as we go through our hardships. He can change it in a moment. And so if he doesn't, the question is, why not? Why is God leaving me here? Maybe he has something for me to learn. Maybe he wants to teach me gentleness and kindness If I am having difficult relationships, maybe he wants to teach me patience. Maybe there's something in me that he's trying to do. See, God uses these times of trial, these years that are good, these years that are sometimes bad, to change our point of view, to mold us, to shape us, to make us a little bit more like Jesus, to see things from Jesus' perspective instead of our own human perspective. God gives us good and bad years to mold us. 
See, when Joseph was 17 years old, maybe you guys remember when Andy preached, Joseph was arrogant. He was prideful. He went before his brothers and his family and gladly shared these visions that God had given him that one day his family would bow down to him. Sure, he was sharing a vision that God had given him, but he didn't do it with humility. See, God takes Joseph through years and years of hardship to to rub off the hard edges, to make him a little bit more like Jesus. We don't see him fight back against Potiphar. We don't see him fight back against Potiphar's wife. We don't see him bemoan his plight in prison. We don't see him demand Pharaoh's respect. God takes him through good years and bad years to shape him, to change him, to change his character. And I imagine that as Joseph went along, he must have eventually began to catch a glimpse of what God was doing, that God had a greater purpose for him. He had those visions. He had the faith to believe. See, God gives us good and bad years so that we can help others. This is what God does in Joseph's life. When Joseph went through those hard years, he could have stayed down. Remember, he was thrown into a pit. I wonder if he ever questioned the Lord and said, Lord, why did you give me these dreams? Why did I have to tell my brothers about these dreams? If I hadn't told them, well, I wouldn't be here. If my father hadn't given me that robe, that ornamental robe, that cloak, I wouldn't be here in this pit. I wonder if he had ever wished that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have helped the cupbearer. Maybe I shouldn't have helped the the baker. Maybe I shouldn't have interpreted their dreams because, well, the cupbearer is with the king, with Pharaoh again, and I'm still here in prison. Did you know the word uh, for prison? I think they called it... um, forget what they called it here, but Joseph is in prison. It's the same word for pit. It's the same word used earlier for the pit that he's thrown into by his brother, like this cistern, this, this area that you don't want to be, this captivity, this, this box. Joseph could have stayed down. But see, God was giving Joseph those dreams. God was giving Joseph those experiences, those hardships to prepare him for something greater to prepare him to go before Pharaoh one day and interpret his dreams. The word dreams and interpretation is used over and over again to tell us something, that Joseph has a very unique skill set. And that interpretation of dreams is God's domain, not, not man's. See, but God had to prepare Joseph for this moment. Joseph could have stayed down, but he didn't. When Pharaoh calls, he rises up, he cleanses himself, he he shaves, he gets ready, and he goes. And he goes to work to serve others, to bless others. See, God gave Joseph years of hardship. God gave Joseph trials so that he could show kindness to other people. When Pharaoh calls him, Joseph says this in verse 16. He says, to Pharaoh. He says, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. In the Hebrew, it it really says, God is concerned about the shalom of Pharaoh. Joseph walks up to Pharaoh and says, God is concerned about your shalom. The Hebrew word shalom means peace. It means welfare. It means prosperity. Joseph is telling Pharaoh, without even having uh, heard the dreams that God cares about 
Egypt. God cares about Pharaoh. God wants to use Joseph to bless Egypt, to bless Pharaoh, to bring peace and prosperity there. Joseph interprets the dreams, and he puts forth a practical plan for dealing with the famine. And notice that even when Egypt is not concerned with giving Joseph shalom, even when Egypt does not care about the peace that Joseph experiences, Joseph still wants shalom and peace for Egypt. He's still caring for these people that have enslaved him, that have been unkind to him, that probably would have frustrated him and discouraged him. Over and over again, a nation that has enslaved him, he cares about that nation. When we're brought into hardship and trials, it's especially hard to love those that are the cause of the trial, that are the cause of the hardship. Those people that God seems to bring into our lives that just rub us the wrong way. Are we concerned with their shalom? Are we concerned with their peace? Because even as we walk through hardship, and sometimes they're the cause, God cares about us blessing them. Those are the hardest relationships, but they're also the ones that can produce the most fruit. Are you seeking the peace and the prosperity of your Egypt? God gave Joseph hard years to bless others, and God gives us good and bad years so that we can help others too. The story of Jane Grants is a story of many hard years. Uh, Jane is a native New Englander, uh, and in 1970, uh, when she was 40 and when her husband was 40, her husband named Norman was misdiagnosed. He was misdiagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, Parkinson's is a central nervous system uh, issue. But he actually had something called OPCA, which is a neurodegenerative uh, issue. In other words, his brain was degenerating. And this disease, this, this um, the symptom, it turned him into an invalid. And the doctors put him on medication that stripped his body of sodium and eventually ended up killing him. Uh, but it took 30 years before he passed away. He was a 30 years, he was an invalid. And she cared for him for 30 long years. She was a tiny woman. She's probably about this tall. And her husband was over six foot and a large man. And so she began to sleep in the closet so she could keep an eye on him in his bed as he tossed and turned. Every summer, she would call the local police department and ask them to come by and load him up into a stretcher, an ambulance stretcher in the back of her car. They would drive up to Maine. She would call the local fire department. They would come and unload him. They'd be at their main house for the summer, and they would return. For 30 long years, she cared for him. She sought to, she, she sought to bless him in the midst of her own hardship. But there was more blessing to be had, more ways to bless even others outside of her own family. Uh, a friend asked her during this time if she would consider housing a young man. It was his last uh, semester at school. He needed some place where he could stay for cheap rent. First she resisted, and she said no, but then she said, okay, he can come and stay with me. And he came, and she was surprised to find that he gave her a great deal of joy. There was relational joy. There was uh, service that he did for her. He, he mowed her lawn. He sho shoveled her driveway during the winter. 
And he graduated and left, but then she thought, maybe this is a good idea, I'll keep doing this. And so she began to invite other young men who went to the local school to come and stay with her. And actually, I was one of those guys who ended up staying at her house many, many years later. She probably had over a dozen. When I asked her how many young men had stayed with her over the years, she said like eight to ten, but I think she had even more than that because it started in the 80s. And I went to school at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in 2010. And she had been housing young men in her house for years. And her, her husband eventually passed away, but she continued to do that. And she doesn't think of what she did as extraordinary, but I certainly do. Uh, because she helped a lot of young pastors graduate with a lot less debt. See, in the midst of good years and bad years, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, God used Jane to help others, to care for others, to put others' needs above her own. God gives us good years and bad years to help others, but also for one more reason. Just like Jane was blessed through the experience where she experienced joy and happiness, God seeks to bless you and me. See, God gives us good and bad years to help others and bless us. God put Joseph through these tough times to actually bless Joseph, to bring Joseph success. It says that when, when Pharaoh clothed Joseph, Notice what he clothed him with. We're in verses 41 through 57. He clothed him with fine linen. It says he also gave him a gold chain. And um, let's see, it was a gold chain, fine linen. He gave him a chariot. And he also gave him a signet ring. Does that robe remind you of anything that was taken from him before? In Genesis 37, his father gave him an ornamental robe. The Greek Septuagint uh, translated it as a kind of a robe of many colors. The Hebrew doesn't say that. But it was this, this beautiful robe that his father gave him, and his brothers stripped it off him, threw him into a pit. And then when he went to Potiphar's house, he would have gotten some sort of robe to distinguish his position as head over Potiphar's household. And that would have been stripped from him, and he would have been thrown into this prison. And finally, God has pulled him out, God has lifted him up, and God has clothed him with the best of all the cloaks, a fine linen cloak that would have been white in Egypt. And it would have, it would have said that here is an elite person, here is someone who has status, royal status, it says that a herald went before Joseph calling for people to bow the knee. Do you remember what Joseph's father told him when Joseph shared his second dream? His second dream was of the sun and stars and moon, and all of these things were bowing down to Joseph. And Jacob, his father, said, Shall I and your mother and your brothers bow ourselves to the ground before you? This isn't referencing, at the beginning of the story, Jacob and his family directly. It's saying something even greater than your family is going to bow down to you. The Egyptian sun god uh, is, is the god Ra. And the Ra is kind of incarnate in Pharaoh. So that means that they, Pharaoh believed that he was a god. He was a sun god, essentially God in the flesh. 
And Joseph's father-in-law is a priest of On, a priest of On. On was a a Greek city, or an Egyptian city that eventually the Greeks took over, and they renamed the city Heliopolis, which means the city of the sun. See, when Joseph went around Egypt, it was like the sun was bowing down to him. See, God fulfilled Joseph's dreams in a way that was much greater than Joseph ever imagined. He imagined maybe my father and my mother and my brothers will bow down to you. No, millions of people will bow down to you, Joseph. See, God's dreams are greater than our dreams. God's blessings are greater than the ways that we try to bless ourselves. God gives us years of hardship, years of toil and frustration. God gives us relationships we don't like. God gives us spiritual times of barrenness. He gives us physical times of famine so that he can bless us in ways that we could never, ever imagine, that far exceeds any of our expectations. God is using Joseph to bless others, but also to bless Joseph. The word kneel is the same exact word in Hebrew as bless. God is using Joseph to bless the whole ancient world, but also the whole ancient world to bless Joseph. God gives us good and bad years to help others and bless us. Now, there are many applications, and I hope that you've caught a few of these as we've gone through the text, Uh, but I want to focus on two applications. Number one, God can heal your bad years. Joseph has two sons. He gets married. He marries a foreign woman, and he gives birth to two sons. And even though Joseph's name has been changed to an Egyptian name, Joseph names his two sons Hebrew names because that is where he is from, and he wants to ultimately honor God and hold on to his beliefs. And the first son's name is Manasseh. Manasseh means to forget. See, Joseph is saying, God has taken away all of my painful memories, You can believe that Joseph was bitter and frustrated and hurt as he was thrown in prison multiple times and enslaved for many, many years. But somehow, miraculously, God worked healing in Joseph's heart. And God can do that for you. Those hardships that you've walked through that you wince at when you think about them, God can heal those. Those relationships that that hurt you and that you hurt others and that are just so frustrating, God can heal those. And not only can God heal those memories, those relationships, those those times of hardship, God can use them to bear fruit. Number two, God can make any year fruitful. God makes Joseph fruitful in Egypt. Egypt was fertile along the the Nile, but it was a barren land. It was a desert land. It was an oasis in the middle of desert, and God makes Joseph fruitful here. See, God can not only take away your hurts, your your hard memories, but God can make you grateful for those things that you walk through, through those times of dryness. God can make you grateful for those things that initially hurt you. You can be better because of it, saying, man, I'm, I would never change a thing. I would never change a thing because look at how God has used this now. God gives us good and bad years to help others and bless us. Now, the story of Joseph is not your average story. It's something that I like to call a savior story. 
Now, as we've been going through the text, we've kind of been putting ourselves in Joseph's shoes and imagining, you know, how would this apply to us if we were walking through Joseph's story. But ultimately, none of us can fit in Joseph's shoes. There's only one man who who could fit in Joseph's shoes or who Joseph could fit in his shoes, and that's Jesus. And if you look at the two stories of Joseph and Jesus, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, it's clear that the Old Testament story points forward to the New Testament story, to the story of Jesus Christ. See, Joseph was a man who brought success to those around him, who brought blessing to those around him. We think that is why his father, Abraham, said, go check on your son, uh, your brothers, Joseph. I want you to bring blessing and success to them. Joseph was meant to bring blessing to them, to his brothers, and he was rejected by his brothers. Do you know of anyone who was rejected by his fellow countrymen, by his kinsmen, by his people, Jesus Christ? In large part, he was rejected by his people, the Jewish people. He went to Jerusalem to to bring salvation, and he was crucified. Joseph was cast into a pit, but one day he would rise with greater power, greater authority. Jesus was cast into the tomb. He was laid down dead. And he rose again to even greater power and greater authority three days later on Easter morning. Joseph was promoted to the second highest office in the land. Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're going you're gonna to be right next to my throne. You're not going to sit on the throne, but you're going to be right next to the, my throne. Can you think of anyone who is exalted to the right hand of God the Father in heaven? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus has the throne of thrones that he sits on right next to God. Joseph was filled with the Holy Spirit in such a special way that that even a foreign king, a pharaoh who worshipped demons, could recognize God's presence in him. (laughs) Jesus was accused for for being filled with demons because he was anointed in a special way. He had the Holy Spirit present in his life. in his life, doing miracles and performing wonders. And now Jesus gives that Holy Spirit to us. Joseph was married to a foreign bride, an Egyptian woman. Jesus came to rescue his bride, the church, full of every kind of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Joseph is the Savior who fed the nation of Egypt during a time of famine, And Jesus Christ comes in the New Testament and he presents himself as the bread of life. Come to me, all who are hungry, and I will feed you. You will never thirst again. See, in the story of Joseph, we're not Joseph. Jesus is Joseph. In the story of Joseph, we're Egypt. We're that pagan land that that Joseph came to rescue, that Jesus came to rescue, those pagan people that didn't believe in God, and who had hard hearts, but God transforms us. We're all born into famine. And the question is, are you coming to Joseph? Are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming to the Savior who can feed your soul? Do you know him? Do you know Christ? Has you, have you come to his storehouses? Have you received him by faith, putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Jesus not only forgives you, 
wipes away your sins. He washes you off, but then he clothes you with that same fine white white linen cloak. His holiness, he wraps you in it, elevating your status so that you're seated with him on the throne in the heavenly places. That's what Jesus does for you and me. See, God takes us through the good years and the bad years so that for the eternal years we can sit with Christ forever. So that we can enjoy peace, prosperity, shalom with our Savior King for an unending amount of years, forever and ever. And so as we walk through this life, I hope you'll find hope in that message and you'll remember that God is giving us these good years and bad years so that we can be helping others and so that one day he can bless us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for blessing us. Would you please bless the offering? Bless our clothing, uh, closing music and our, our, our announcements. And would we truly learn to help others and receive your blessing no matter what the circumstances are that we're going through. In Jesus' name, amen.